1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry on today's Transfer Podcast. We bring you the latest on David De Gea, his contract standoff and what it all means for Manchester United. And as Spurs open their new stadium to significant fanfare, we ask if everything is as rosy with their manager Maurizio Pochettino. Well, we've been discussing David De Gea and his contract situation at Manchester United for quite some time. I suppose the question, guys, is what can United do to replace such a high-quality goalkeeper should he decide to leave? He's got a year left at the end of the season, of course, or do you think that United can actually agree a deal? Whichever way you look at it, it's a quandary, In It's becoming critical now for Manchester
0: United regarding David De Gea. Um, Privately, the club officials are admitting that they have no idea um, what his decision may or may not be regarding his future. Uh, The negotiations which we have detailed in past podcasts uh, still remain at impasse uh, and no agreement is close to being reached. I think more importantly and significantly, um, people closer to here uh, tell me that he feels like he's given almost the best part of his career to Manchester United and not had uh, the return in terms of medals, uh, and indeed financial, um, if uh, they're not willing to meet his contract uh, request to, to sign on again. And so for now, it's not just a question for De Gea of um, whether he signs a contract or not. It's a question for him of what his next challenge will be. I think it's very interesting, and no doubt George Mendez, David's agent, Um took note of the fact that um, Real Madrid were briefing the um, Spanish media earlier this week that Courtois could be sold in the summer. Uh, We know that Courtois is unhappy at Madrid. He feels he's been made a scapegoat for a difficult and and very poor season by Real Madrid standards. Um, And that the fans have treated him badly. And indeed, we know as well that Paris Saint-Germain would be a possible um, uh, venue where he might be playing his football next season. Of course, Paris Saint-Germain could also be an option for David De Gea because um, Gianluigi Buffon uh, has a one-year contract currently with a year's option and PSG have so far refused to um, take up the option the the next year. So they clearly are monitoring the situation of both Courtois and De Gea very closely. And for Manchester United, this is a very, very serious issue because, as we've seen with um, the recent... Recruitment of um, world-class goalkeepers: Kepa to Chelsea, um, very expensive. Arsen Becker to Liverpool, again, the same. It's um, it's difficult to find the right player, and it's difficult also to do a, a, a valuation stroke price which is realistic regarding you know the position itself. I mean, Duncan, do you think there's anyone out there that that realistically could replace De Gea?
2: I think it, I think it's very hard to replace David De Gea. He's been the best player at the football club for year after year. Um, he's been voted the best goalkeeper in the Premier League almost every season um, for the last uh, five seasons in the Premier League. Um, that tells you how good he is, and, and you know he knows the club. He's part of the club. I I, I think this is the real um, issue for Manchester United. De Gea has made it quite clear what he wants. He wants to be the best-paid player at the club on the basis that he's been the best player at the club for consecutive seasons. Um, he's been told by Edward Woodward that is not going to happen. We're not going to match your wage demands. Um, therefore, if that situation remains, De Gea will leave Manchester United. I do not see any way in which he compromises on what he feels he is owed and deserves as a player. And... Um, as you point out, he's looking at his options elsewhere. And he knows he can get that money elsewhere. And he also knows that, or, or his calculation will be, he has a better chance of succeeding on the football field by moving to somewhere like Paris Saint-Germain, attempting to win the first Champions League, moving to Real Madrid, um, attempting to re-establish themselves at the top of Spanish football, um, as well as the benefits of uh, moving to Madrid, whereas. um where his uh, partner lives um, and his family are so if you factor all those things in the decision for Manchester United should be we know how much it's going to cost him cost us to keep him Uh, we should be seeing that he has alternatives elsewhere we shouldn't doubt that he can get that money elsewhere Um, and therefore we shouldn't doubt that he'll be uh, asking himself am I better off from a sporting perspective from being elsewhere so Unless we can, uh, we can get an equivalent goalkeeper for the same outlay of money, we better do our best to, to, um, to make sure he does stay here. And I don't see that they do do that. I mean, I, I, obviously, De Gea's salary demands are extremely high, but um, if you factor in what it's going to cost you to pay any goalkeeper of a similar standard over the course of a five-year contract on top of what it's going to cost to buy that goalkeeper and you have that uncertainty of whether they'll actually fit into the club when you buy them Um, it it seems it should be a straightforward decision for Woodward to make but the the stance has been a very dogmatic um, I'm not going to do it uh, because we don't think those wages uh, are what you are worth Um, and the club isn't going to go down the line of paying Alexis Sanchez Paul Pogba style wages again so again we have a situation where manchester united's assessment of where recruitment or uh, contracts should be diverges from the reality of the marketplace and the, unless united reassess their position i think that the the losers in that situation are going to be manchester united and the club supporters again they're going to lose their top player and uh, chances are they will he will be replaced by someone of inferior quality. It is remarkable, Duncan, that uh,
0: we often criticise Manchester United, and indeed louis Van Hall did so, didn't he? When he called it a commercial club, not a football club. We criticise them for being too obsessed with share price and uh, commercial revenue, etc., etc. I.e., being run like a business, a sports franchise, rather than being run as a football club, which gets success on the field. And yet. This is purely a matter of, of good business practice. You ca- Last season, Chelsea lost Thibaut Courtois in the final year of his contract. And remember, it paid under €40 million euros for the player, with some step-ups and add-ons, should they be fulfilled. And then buy um, Kepa from, uh, and, and pay over €72 million euros for his replacement, as well as paying more than Courtois being paid in his contract. And United are now in exactly the same position as Chelsea were in last summer. Losing a player who's got a year left in his contract for much less than his market value had he been under a proper contract. And looking at the prospect of spending 40, 50, maybe even 60 million more to recruit the next goalkeeper if he's going to be the same class as De Gea. And then pay him the money that 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 also um, requires in terms of status um, as well. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, in this case, I think the problem or the mistake the United have made, they've left it too late. The player himself has become disillusioned and dissatisfied with um, the way the club has behaved. And he does obviously have options, especially as he will be cheap at the price with the year left his contract to go somewhere like Real or PSG. And they will certainly pay him what he wants as well. In terms of candidates to come in, United have to do one of two things. Either they go for a young, capable and, you know, almost, because I don't think there is a keeper out there available who is as good as David De Gea, um, almost as good. Someone like Jan Oblak at um, Atletico Madrid, but he has a rescission clause in his contract of around €89 million, Euros, I believe. Um, or do they bring in, and this is, sometimes this this works, do they bring in maybe an older, less high-profile but dependable keeper with good experience in the Premier League sector, like Casper Schmeichel at Leicester City, who whose dad is very very close to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who wants to leave Leicester City. His dad effectively said that he wanted to, to play somewhere at a bigger club. You know, put Schmeichel on a contract for three seasons at less money, less money to buy. Would he? Suff- would, would he? do the job. Yes, he probably would, especially if they bring in a decent centre-half. But he's not David De Gea. He's not going to save you 9 to 12 points per season with his saves, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, look, the the key point here is timing and missing opportunities. It cannot be reiterated enough that uh, a couple of years ago, um, David De Gea was actively trying to get contract negotiations going with Manchester United an extension he was ready to sign an extension he expected a pay rise to do so but he was open to committing to United for a longer term um, United were not interested in talking to him at that period they, they left it to a stage in which he was aware um, that if he held off he could bring free agency into the discussion so the cost became higher and higher It's not the only time Manchester United have done this. They're just about to lose Ander Herrera to Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer because they didn't enter contract negotiations when the player was interested in signing a new deal. He gets to a stage where he's frustrated with um, United's uh, lack of an offer and where he's accessible to um, a club like Paris Saint-Germain who have better prospects of winning the Champions League um, for free In terms of transfer fees so they can afford to pay him uh, a wage that's acceptable to him Uh, and united lose a player that they don't want to lose Um, so it's a habit and a bad habit that ed woodward has got into at manchester united which is costing the club because they're losing players who they need to retain and they're retaining players who in any rational analysis They should let go, for example, Phil Jones, who has a five-year, just been given a five-year long-term contract and uh, just demonstrated in midweek what his abilities are in defending um, against important opponents at a time when Manchester United need points to secure Champions League qualification.
1: I'm going to throw a curveball here at you guys. Um, We've talked in the past about Manchester United being a club that sees the importance of the the social media influencer and um, the big-name signing. There's a guy at Paris Saint-Germain that's out of contract at the end of the season that would be the ultimate signing in that sense, that fits into Ian's philosophy of an older, more experienced uh, guy coming in, and that would be Gianluigi Buffon. True, Johnny. I mean, that's an interesting point to raise. Um,
0: Buffon, I think, is slightly complicated by the, his his own... Um, lack of decision um, or indeed certainty regarding whether he retires um, at the end of uh, this season. Um, he's over 40 years old now and has had you know, probably the most glittering career of any goalkeeper in world football. But um, I guess in that sense, when Manchester United come calling and offer you the opportunity to play in the Premier League, um, and remember, um, Edwin van der Saar went to Manchester United late, relatively late in his career, not obviously as old as 40, but was a sensational signing for Sir Alex Ferguson um, in uh, the way that he played, and obviously won a Champions League uh, title under Sir Alex, and in that part of his career where he was he was getting towards the end of it. So it's a good point. Um, I'm not sure that it's, it's it's something you could sell easily to the Manchester United fans, um, unless of course. Buffon did come in and was outstanding. Um, That's clearly going to put everyone's mind at rest. But um, it's it's a difficult one. I think, interestingly, as well, just to take the discussion in a slightly different direction, um, the Oliguna Solskjaer kind of feel good factor seems to have come to quite an abrupt end, which is something which has gone a little bit under the Oliguna radar, if you forgive the pun, um, because three defeats in his last four games. Two of them by Wolverhampton Wanderers, one in the FA Cup, uh, and then the league last week. And if you are a player at Manchester United and you were, if you like, enervated or infused by Solskjaer's appointment, and obviously, you know, it was almost inevitable that every Manchester United player that ever spoke to the media in the last few weeks were going to say, yeah, we want Ole to be the the, the permanent boss because he's brilliant and he loves the players and he knows Man United, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, now he knows what it's like to be a Manchester United manager who's experienced defeat and he's facing Barcelona over two legs of Champions League quarter-final, which will effectively define United's season. Um, they're facing an uphill battle to make top four for Champions League next season as well. And so, again, you go back to De Gea, he's asking himself the question, you know, I've now been through, what, four or five managers now in the last five years. Um, the yeah. only success we had um, was one FA Cup under Van Hal and a League Cup and a Europa League under Jose Mourinho. So where, where is my sporting success coming from? And, you know, take the money aspect out of it. And under Herrera, Juan Mata, also looking at that um, situation as well, thinks themselves, well, you know what, maybe, the, 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 if you like, the luster of the Manchester United badge is not quite as um, bright and shiny as it once was.
2: I think, I think these games towards the end of the season are vital for Manchester United because it's going to... They're, they're talking about having a major restructuring in the summer. Um, and the, the word from the Glazers is that they're going to finance Solskjaer and allow him to rebuild. Um, but that that point about the luster of Manchester United is an important one because if they don't make Champions League football next season, it's going to be harder to recruit players, for sure. Um if they want the very best of players, which is what they actually need, um, it's going to be tougher if they're not in the Champions League. And in current form, they're going to struggle to make the Champions League from their, their, their league position. Uh, they've, as you say, they've lost three of the last four games under Solskjaer. It could easily have been four games without defeat. Watford outplayed them at, my, at, at Old Trafford at the weekend. Uh, and... Uh, United won because they got goals on the counter-attack, which is, be, which is becoming more and more Solskjaer's defined way of playing. He's become more um, dependent on defending um, and hitting quickly on the counter-attack the longer he's got into the job. And um, I think this is, we're back now to the reality of what Manchester United's squad is. We've had that feel-good um, factor. We've had the the buzz of... the the shot of adrenaline that Solskjaer gave the team by coming in and changing the psychological um, atmosphere and telling the players they were good, telling them he he believed in them, giving them the opportunity to prove that the, the previous manager was wrong and getting a long run of really good results off the back of it, doing everything right. But that's over now. We're now back to this is the real standard of what Manchester United's squad is. Um, and this is why they're hard to manage. This is why David Moyes, this is why Louis Van Gaal, this is why Jose Mourinho have all found the club hard to manage. Um, do they solve the fundamental problem this summer, which is players have to go out and better players have to come in? Um, and if they're not in the Champions League next season, it's going to be harder to do that. And you know, The Glazers want it to be known they're going to, going to spend on this team. I still have a question mark over how much they're actually willing to spend on the team, how far they're willing to go, and how much authority they're prepared to give Solskjaer in terms of allowing
1: him his choices of where the team needs to be improved. Another manager whose team is in very poor perform at the moment is Maurizio Pochettino, whose men have only grasped four points from a possible 18 in recent games. Of course, Spurs have uh, opened their new stadium with a spectacular fireworks show. It all looked fantastic, Duncan. But is everything in Spurs' garden quite as rosy as it would seem on the surface?
2: On the surface of the pitch, even the skating rink pitch they were playing on last (laughs) night. It's very true. I've never seen so many players slip in the the first half of a game as as in that one. But yeah, look, the stadium is clearly fantastic. It's... um, it's been worth the wait. And remember, it's, what, eight months over over um, deadline that they finally managed to open it. Um, it's being portrayed as the answer to all of Tottenham's problems um, because it will uh, more than double their matchday revenues. They expect over £100 million of, of matchday revenues next season compared to what they were getting at the old White Hart Lane. Um, maybe we uh, even more than that, if they managed to get uh, get the uh, the name changed from Naming Rights Lane to uh, actually getting a sponsor in to 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 put to have their uh, name written over the top of it, as uh, as we saw in the uh, the original photos when when Tottenham were um, portraying their scheme. But the problem is that that, that stadium is so far over budget. Um, Daniel Levy, in a very rare meeting with the press last week, when he was uh, proudly showing off the the quality of the toilets in the new stadium, uh, and talking about the wine cellar he'd had installed, um, was asked how much it was cost. How, how much it cost in the end? Um, asked if it, if the billion pound figure that people had reported was correct, and he said it was in that order. And remember, this is a stadium that in two thousand and twelve when Tottenham were um, putting their plans through to uh, London authorities, it was supposed to cost £430 million. So you're talking about an extra in the order of £600 million of spend on the stadium. Now that's not going to be cheap to finance and it's coming out, it's debt. It will have to be debt that will be paid off long term and it will come out, that the extra money they're talking about generating from the stadium will mostly be eaten up in terms of paying for that stadium over the long term. And it's no coincidence that they haven't bought anything in the last two transfer windows because money has been saved um, to try and deal with the costs of the project. So where do they go from here? Well, I think that I would point you um, to Maurizio Pochettino um, and what he thinks his future is at the club, um, I would look and say how many times he's talked about the issues at the club and the issues of the squad this season and wanting more and needing more if he's to take them on to the next level. And I would say have a look um, at an article that Guillaume Balagay who was the author of um, co-author of a, a diary that Pochettino um, wrote published uh, last year, I think. Um, wrote for the the BBC this week. Um, And it was very much um, asking questions about whether Pochettino's long-term future could be at Tottenham, whether he'd reached the end of the road, Um, talking about the difficulties of managing a squad um, that didn't change, um, that had been together for too long, Um, suggesting that there might be opportunities for him at Bayern Munich, inter um, or Paris Saint-Germain, I think wrong about Paris Saint-Germain because Thomas Tuchel was going to get a new contract there. But um, I think that what you, you can see from that is Pochettino's exploring the idea of moving elsewhere and seeing if there are opportunities outside the ones he expected to have at Manchester United and Real Madrid, which are now gone, even suggested in the column that it might be mutually beneficial for Tottenham and Pochettino to part ways and that there would be an, a degree um, to tear up his contract and allow it to go for free. Now, th- this is coming, obviously, it's not, um, none of this is from Pochettino himself. It's None of it's on record. But when someone is close to a manager as Guillain-Ballée is, and he does have a very good relationship with Maurizio Pochettino, writes a piece like that, you can be sure uh, that Pochettino is aware of it and is happy with the, the content and that there are messages being put out there. And those messages, I think, um, are ones that should worry any Tottenham supporter because um, what it's saying is, even though Manchester United have got Solskjaer in place, even though Real Madrid have got Zinedine Zidane in place, Pochettino is not happy about his situation at Tottenham. And the best interpretation of that would be he is now desperately trying to pressure Levy to start spending on the squad in the same way as he spent on his new stadium. This um, is a
0: situation which needs to be resolved for Pochettino um, and, and resolved in the next three to four months. Um, it's significant that in November stroke December of last year, Pochettino um, was either willing and then um, a little bit less um, transparent, uh, speaking about the possibility of him leaving um, in this summer for another club, uh, because the um, stadium was overdue and Spurs were receiving, and Daniel Levy himself was receiving a lot of criticism for the fact the stadium kept being delayed, delayed, delayed. And there's no doubt that um, Pochettino was told in no uncertain terms to quit the negativity and to get on side, and he has he has done that since. But what Duncan has said about the column um, by Guillaume is very important um, because we know as experienced journalists, when you're close to a person in football, whether it be a player manager, chief executive agent, whatever, when you write with authority about that person's state of mind, um, the uh, potential for his future, then that gets alarm bells ringing and I've no doubt in my mind that um, Daniel Levy would have been furious um, that Guillaume Baloguer wrote with such authority about what Pochettino's future might be because effectively what it does it's it's that game of Russian roulette it says to Levy, you have to change you have to um, give me more um, potential investment for this squad and I am happy if you want to, to negotiate about how we finance that with regards to players leaving. We know that Christian Eriksen has got itchy feet and um, his contract's running down and they could command a, a very good fee for him and then reinvest it. Um, but Pochettino, despite what you said, Johnny, about you know the, all the um, whistles and buttons and bows of um, the stadium opening um, with the win over Crystal Palace, a stadium doesn't win trophies and a stadium doesn't enhance a manager's reputation. It's simply a place where they play football. And as lovely as it is, as modern and as spectacular and as impressive as it is, if you haven't got a winning team on the pitch, then what you're looking at is, you know, Arsenal in the past 10 years uh, where Arsene Wenger claiming that fourth place was as much, it was like a trophy. Spurs haven't won a trophy since Juan de won the League Cup. And that's a stadium full of fans whose expectation is built, not just... On what they've seen under Pochettino, but in the money that they haven't invested in season tickets, which are now the highest in the Premier League, to to be at the new naming rights stadium, as Duncan points out, um, it's 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 a thing that they're going to have to address. Now, from Levy's point of view, how many rabbits can you pull out of a hat? Because he doesn't—he's got a mixed record in terms of managers, um, and Pochettino was certainly the—you know—arguably the best. That he is employed.
1: Ian, can in he t- just go back to a, a successful manager, Harry Redknapp, who's available?
0: I don't think that's really possible, only because Duncan would probably fly to the, the northeast London himself to prevent that, <laughs> with, his, with his seven iron with Gareth Bale's buttocks imprint on it. You have to, you have to
2: remember when uh, Harry Redknapp lost his job, it was a period in which um, a lot of the English press were expecting Harry Redknapp to become the next manager of England because he was doing such a good job at Tottenham, in inverted commas, and was therefore the obvious candidate to get uh, to get the, the top job in English football. Um, it tells you what Daniel Levy thought of Harry Redknapp, that uh, he actually sacked him at the end of that season, <laughs> at the same time as Redknapp failed to be selected um, as England manager.
1: OK, I'm going to move us on now to our quickfire round. And today we've... Uh... Got an idea from a from a listener. Thanks to a question that came in on Wednesday. Sorry, I don't have his name to hand. Apologies, me a culpa and all that. Um, but he asked if Leicester and Wolves, as a combined eleven, could have a championship winning side. Um, obviously, this is especially relevant given Wolves' second defeat of the season uh, of Manchester United. Um, so. Let's have a wee look at what kind of an 11 we can build here. So we're going to set this up in a 3-5-2 formation because Wolves are higher up in the league. So we're going to go with uh, with their setup. And we're going to start with goalkeeper, first of all. And Duncan, you're going to tell us who our man between the sticks is going to be.
2: Well, Ian's mentioned Casper Schmeichel as a potential replacement for David De Gea at at Manchester United, um, which I think is a very good shout. um, As uh, as Ian points out, um, Casper is open to a move um, to a bigger club, and uh, Manchester United is kind of the obvious fit in the Premier League if he's to stay in England. But I think if you're choosing between him and Rui Patricio, um, it has to go to the Portugal national team goalkeeper, who um, again. this week against Manchester United showed his ability uh, in terms of shot-stopping um, and, and has won a lot of points for that team this season, I think, is, is the better of the two.
1: OK, Ian, you're going to give us a right-sided centre-back or a centre-back because we don't want to complicate matters too much. Indeed. Um,
0: there's a lot of great candidates, actually, and you know, kudos to um, our man, the listener, who, who came up with this idea i something about Harry Maguire in there. I think um, he's grown in stature, both as a player and as a man, since his World Cup experience in 2018 in Russia with England. Uh, he's someone who's attracted a lot of interest from other Premier League clubs um, and someone who I'm sure Brendan Rodgers is determined to hold on to regardless. Uh, he seems to have developed confidence on the ball. His passing range has improved as well. And his defending, more than anything, is, is very, very good. So I'd I put Maguire in at the right side.
1: OK, Duncan, who's your centre-back?
2: Yeah, look, there's a lot of high-quality centre-backs at these two clubs. And I think you can look at even the guys that Leicester have got in reserve um, in terms of Kagler, Soinshu and um, Benkovic at Celtic. Um, Johnny yeah. Evans is still a, a good good performer. But I think of the options, I think um, Wolves have the have the better two there. Um, I'm going to choose Connor Cody um, as the one of the few English players that are, are still in that team and, and one of the, the real consistent performers at, at Wolves and put him in the centre of the of those three centre-backs and hopefully Ian will choose the other Wolves centre-back on the left-hand side.
0: Willie Bolly, I think, is going to be the man, the third man in that defence. I think he's been outstanding. Um, it's interesting that uh, a lot of people kind of I think you know he's a bit under the radar, or he's not as you know um, good as people would have thought um, in terms of the way he's performed this season. But I, thought, I think he's been excellent, and um, and for that reason, I think he's got a good understanding as well of playing in that particular formation. Uh, also has a goal threat at the other end of the field. So I'm not sure if Duncan agrees on that. Where he thinks that that's going to be prob- problematic, but I
1: think that that's for who I would choose. It doesn't matter what Duncan thinks. We're moving on to the right wing back, Duncan. Who you got in there?
2: Um, I think right wing back, would, I would use um, the Leicester. Did you get Mark,
1: did you wrote the Rope reference there, by the way? That WWE stuff. No, no idea uh, what, what WWE no, is. No, the, the wrestler in the rock, He says, it doesn't matter what you think. Never mind. The listeners what, will understand. was what, what that? It's
0: like Big Daddy in Giant Haystacks? <laughs> is that what he said? I'm proud to say
2: I would never get any WWE references, <laughs> whatever you threw at me. I'm with you, Duncan. (laughs) I'm only interested in real sport. (laughs) Right, I I choose the Leicester right back for this uh, position, and obviously, being Portuguese, he would fit in um, very well with a a hybrid um, Wolves um, Leicester team. So, uh, Ricardo Pereira would be my choice. He's had a good, solid first season in Premier League, and I think he's only going to get better from here.
1: Ian, left wing back, Ben
0: Shelby who I think has improved again um, enormously um, and indeed has been linked with moves to Tottenham um, and also uh, Arsenal and other clubs in the Premier League. Uh, He's he's obviously made uh, an impact in the England squad as well uh, and I think he is only going to get better um, so therefore in this particular formation, Chelwell on the left.
1: Okay guys, I'm going to look for a couple of uh, defensive midfield player types. Duncan, you got someone who can put his foot on the ball and play from that position? But it's
2: dead easy. Um, Ruben Nevis, uh, possibly, possibly the best um, defensive playmaking midfielder in the league. Um, certainly of the guys who are playing there. Um, and uh, been a sensational signing for Wolverhampton and I think if he leaves the club this summer um, it will be for over 100 million um, euros and I think whoever gets him will benefit from a player who's, uh, who's very intelligent um, very good positionally, can tackle but also um, a quality of passing that, that few players in his position have
1: Ian, who's going to play alongside I've got, I've got Young go, I've, got, I've got to go with the, the
0: Perry. It's got to be Jean Moutinho, um, who has, I think, um, almost... Well, definitely exceeded expectations with regards to a player of his age. Um, there was a lot of doubt, wasn't there, about paying him the kind of contract uh, that he's on for a guy at 32 coming up on 33. Um, but he's, he's, he's played almost every game, 37 appearances... You know he's played two thousand eight hundred and seven minutes of this season for Wolves, and um, despite those you know original kind of doubts about why they're signing a guy of this age to play, but his link up with Neves, who's obviously the youthful partner in that, um, has been sensational. And um, what he gives you is calm on the ball. He's he's one of those players who you know you can pass it to, and he's not going to lose possession. He's always going to find his man. So um, I'd put that central uh, the double pivot of both um, Neves and. Moutinho together.
1: Duncan, do you want to go for a trio vote or whatever Mourinho called it at Real Madrid, or would you like a more attacking <laughs> player in there?
2: I think. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of good options between these two sides. Um, you know, I, I like indeedy um, at, uh, at Leicester a lot. Um, you've seen Yuri Telemans come through, um, albeit I think he's going to have a tougher season next season when when, when opponents. Um, know how the way he plays better but those two are, are both real talents um, but the guy I would pick is someone who I, I, I did a, a sort of a, a best 11 signings of the summer for, the, for my daily record column at the start of the season and one of the guys who, who was suggested to me was James Madison and I left him out um, because uh, he was English <laughs> I, I generally find that when, when English players are recommended they're not as good as people expect them to be I think he's, he's been absolutely outstanding in his, his first season in the Premier League and um, and I really regret leaving him out of that 11 now because it's one of the ones who you would have looked clever if you'd, if you'd left him in. Um, but I think he deserves to be in there. And uh, with Moutinho and Neves beside him, that's a pretty dangerous midfield they've got in the centre with, with some good uh, good forwards up ahead of them to come as well.
1: It's nice and youthful, this team as well. Lots of pace, lots of energy. Right, who, up front, Ian, who are we going for? Well, Raul Rattles- Jimenez has to be there, doesn't he? Um on loan from
0: Benfica, again another very shrewd re- part of recruitment for Will's season um, has been rewarded with um, consistently excellent performances. Thing about um, Jimenez as well is that yeah. he he does not just score goals; he contributes all around the team. He will play; he'll happily go wide left or wide right in order to make more space for um, when they play on the counter. Uh, he does score goals and assist goals as well.
2: Who's with him? Uh, this was a tough. I, I think, look, got a lot of time um, for the um another young English player um, with with you know so much speed on the ball um, and uh, a decent eye for goal. I don't think he scores quite enough as yet. Um, so on that basis, I'd go for Jimenez's regular part. Partner um, at Wolves, Giogo Jota who I think is um, a more consistent performer um, in the Premier League at this stage. But it, really, you could have either of those two, and you'd be looking at um, a very good uh, combined attack, and, a, and a, I think a really good team. I mean, I think the the listeners asked a great question here: how how well would a combined Leicester City and Wolves team um, do? And I think you know that that midfield in particular. Um, is as good as any, as almost anyone's got in the Premier League. Probably only, only Manchester City have got better midfield, and I think Manchester City would swap Neves for Fernandinho if you would give them a straight choice in terms of uh, the longevity of the career ahead of them. So um, yeah, it's it's a tasty team.
0: This. I just got to make an honourable, more than honourable mention of Jamie Vardy, who, despite again, um, you know, he's over thirty now, but is. You know, been one of the most effective strikers in the Premier League um, in the last three, four seasons. Uh, I think one-on-one, there's almost no one better. Maybe Sergio Aguero, you could argue, obviously. But he's just sensational. Um, put the ball at his feet when he's running at goal, when he scores. Um, and if we are talking about, we're not going to go to the bench, but if you've got Vardy on the bench, backing up Giotto and, um, and Raul Jimenez, then I think you've got you know a lot of strength and depth
1: there as well. We need to talk about the cherry on top, of course, which is the manager. Do we go for the suave Portuguese sophistication of uh, Nuno or do we go for the teeth and handshakes of Brendan Rodgers?
0: Duncan, I'm going to let you answer this one first <laughs> on the basis that I know exactly
2: <laughs> what you're going to say. Well, you know what I'm going to say. so. <laughs> I, I, tell, the I, listeners I,
0: what, tell the listeners what I, you're going to say.
2: I prefer conferences, press conferences that aren't full of... Um, uh, horse excrement, um, and I prefer managers who do, do do the work on the field efficiently, um, and uh, don't sell themselves as being something they're not. So it has to be, um, you know, Spirit Santo as the as the manager there.
1: You don't, I don't think, the Rogers would be the biggest fan of this hybrid team, and it'd followed them since he was a kid.
2: Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm sure he would, but um, <laughs> he'll just have to stay as a fan in the stadium, as opposed to the man the dugout leading.
1: Johnny,
0: just remind me, is this a team that will win the Premier League
1: or just get in the top four?
0: Well, what do we think?
1: I mean, I think that is a pretty impressive start in 11. I reckon
0: if you put Brendan Rodgers in charge of that team, they would win the <laughs> Premier League. This man has won championships. He's won a double treble. Listen, he's, he's an inspirational figure. Uh, he, he makes players feel good about themselves. He motivates them. He's tactically astute. Um, Nuno is a very, very good coach and I love his beard. But he doesn't have those medals that Brendan has and Brendan, you know, can go into the dressing room and I'm sure he might and show them his medals and say, this is what you could be. You could be as successful as I am if, you know, you work and do what I say. So for me, Brendan's a man to lead this team.
2: Which Premier League are we talking about Brendan winning? Is that the Ukrainian Premier League?
0: Listen, if you went there, he'd win the treble as well. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I,
2: I've I just got to say um, thank you to Ryan Harrison for this question. I've done um, third person McFarlane's homework for him because he's too busy these days because he's now a, a big shot editor. Um, but we finally we finally got your name and thanks. It's one of the best questions we've had uh, to the transfer windows so far.
1: Yes, yeah. well done, George Harrison. Oh, sorry, Ryan Harrison. Um, so, not the best. Not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> Well, with that uh, reminder that happiness is a warm gun, it's time to slam this particular (laughs) transfer window shut. Sensational,
0: (laughs) sensational reference from a man who wasn't born when the White Album came out.
1: (laughs) Well, I try my best, what can I say? It's time to slam this particular transfer window shut, but fear not, we're going to be back on Monday to follow your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, you can contact us on Twitter. You can do it on at transferpodcast you can do it at Johnny R. McFarlane if you wanted to speak to me, but why would you when you can contact Ian at SG, inscrutable name, but it is his nonetheless, or Duncan Castles at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by going onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, because this helps us jump up the iTunes charts when someone searches for a football podcast. Until Monday, thanks for listening. <laughs>